Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Iz. I've never been so excited to record. I'm so giddy. I don't know what to do. That last 10 minutes of Salt Lake City changed my life. Changed my life. I have texted everybody I know to make them watch it, whether they've watched every episode of Housewives or never watched Housewives. I told my Uber driver about it this morning. I made my parents sit down and watch it. I gave them the full context. My dad was like, holy shit, when he (laughs) saw that first officer lurking in the background. It is epic. Listen, here's the thing. You can have zero knowledge of Bravo. Once you see Homeland Security on the screen, you know some shit's about to go down. And just the full breaking of the fourth wall and seeing the producers and the cameramen setting up the camera in the bus with the GoPros and the producer asking them, are you guys really going to cancel the trip? I cannot wait to get into it. And by the way, this is only like the first part of it. Yeah, we got 10 minutes and 10 incredible minutes. But according to Andy, next week is one of the top five episodes of Housewives of All Time. Okay, so here's my thing. You know, nothing that happened in this episode, gen-wise, obviously not marrying Whitney, which we will get into, was new necessarily. Like we knew what was going to happen. But when I tell you, it exceeded every one of my expectations. And I was watching this as if I knew nothing. The internal bleeding thing was new for me. But what I can't stop thinking about is bringing myself back to whatever month that was that she got arrested. And we were reading all of these reports and they all kept saying, allegedly the women were filming about to go on a trip to Vail and the cameras were rolling while this happened. So I'm like, okay, we're going to get something like maybe a little bit of this, a little bit of that, not a full front row seat, mics on cameras rolling while every single thing goes down and Jen has to put on a performance to the women. Like this was crazy. They weren't just like on their way to film. They were literally cameras up. I really feel when I watch that, like 
we have graduated from the days of Kyle Richards reading the LA Times article in her Lucky to Home. Like we are in the fucking big leagues now, baby. We thought that was a big deal. Homeland Security is in the parking lot of Beauty Lab and Laser. This is what I live for. Live for. I, I can't wait to get into it. Okay, so first off, we are now existing in a post-Beverly Hills era, which I feel like I just want to acknowledge. How are you doing about that? I'm okay. I feel pretty good about it. I honestly feel fine about it too. And I think also, do you agree with this or not? I feel like we've been getting so much content just in the media, like on you know Daily Mail, Snapchat, and things like that, of sightings of the Beverly Hills Housewives filming for this next season more than I feel like normal. I think all eyes are on them. And because we're so fresh off last season and because it feels like they're filming for a reason, plus everything going down in real time with Erica and with Dorit, which is actual real news, to see them filming, I think is just such a part of the story. Absolutely. And the one other thing I want to mention is that as of, I think it was last night, the surveillance video of the burglars breaking into Dorit's house was released. And at the time that we're recording this, they still have not caught the individuals responsible. So I think they were releasing that as a way to kind of raise awareness and see if anybody had any tips, but it was really chilling to witness that. It literally made me nauseous to watch that, to think what's about to happen. And also because there were photos maybe from a helicopter or paparazzi of her back door with the glass broken that we saw, I guess, the day after. So now to see them actually doing it and know what's about to go down is, oh, I can't imagine how she feels watching that. I really can't. I think what's so scary about it also is that when you watch a video like that, you know, she doesn't live in a gated community. Of course, it's a beautiful home and it's surrounded with the gate, but technically, you know, it's on the street. And I think that when you see something like that and Obviously, it's horrendous, but you're also watching almost how seamless it was for those men to break in that you realize the only thing separating that from happening in a lot of ways, just people having, you know, a moral compass or a sense of humanity. And when people reach a certain level of desperation, it's terrifying what can be done. And I just, it was really, really hard to watch that, honestly. I wonder if they'll move. I don't really know. I'm so interested to hear her speak about this, like we keep saying, because it went down the first week of filming. Well, weren't they going to sell their house like way before any of this happened? Wasn't that the thing or did I just make that up? I don't know, but I feel like after this, it might be a definite possibility. Oh, if they decided that they just couldn't live there because it was too traumatizing, I would completely, completely understand that. Me too. Okay. So the way that we are going to do this episode, it's different than we've ever done it before, but we basically felt like what went down on Salt Lake City on Sunday night was so important that it could not wait for Thursday release. We just, like for your guys' sake, absolutely, but also for our sake, like we just, I feel like we needed, we needed this, you know? If it was possible, we would have just released a one long voice note, but this is the next best thing. Yeah. <laughs> So the way that we're going to do this Salt Lake City one, and by the way, I know this is what we agreed upon, but if we decide to change it mid-episode, we totally can. We basically said we're splitting up the episode into Mary's cooking lunch and then Jen's arrest. So those are obviously the two main things here. And we're going to start with Mary's lunch and make our way to Jen's. I just don't know if we'll be able to make it without jumping over, but that's, I guess, the goal, right? Yeah. Well, we already kind of fucked it up, but let's keep trying on our path. Okay. (laughs) This luncheon was some other shit. What I keep saying is, even cut out the last 10 minutes with the Jen stuff, this would have been an incredible explosive episode. So much happened, so many moving parts, and so many 
like relationship dramas happened sitting at that lunch that we would have been on here saying, holy shit, what a jam-packed episode. So then the fact that that is just like the precursor to then Jen is what, I mean, what did we do to deserve this? No, I cannot believe we pre-game Jen's arrest with Mary's Italian <laughs> luncheon. Like that's insane. With a fake invitation, 15 different fights. I mean, wow. I think one of the things that made this particular episode so chaotic and really this luncheon is that typically when you've been watching these women for a season or two, you get a sense as to what is going to make them upset, who their kind of issues are with. And I think the thing with this, with Mary, is that I did not know who she considered an ally and who she considered an enemy because listen, if I, if somebody had asked me before this, I would have said, of course, she's closer with Whitney than she is with Jen. Or of course she, you know, can tolerate Whitney better than she can tolerate Jen. And then all of a sudden Jen's like in the safe zone and Whitney is in the hot seat. And I'm just like, I, I don't have a narrator anymore because everything I thought to be true is completely untrue. My sister and I, while we were watching, paused it at one point when Jen and Mary were speaking. We're like, wait, remember Jen and Mary? Like they came into the show as arch enemies. And now here we are where I can't even remember or really place where Mary stands with everybody and also kind of where everybody stands with everybody. It's really changing so quickly all the time. And you're right. The word to describe this whole lunch plan is just chaos. Chaos. But, you know, I was thinking about it in terms of last episode because the Googling thing happened and she was upset with Lisa. And when she explained it further, and even with Heather and Whitney, you know, she gave kind of a more lengthy explanation and explained why that was so upsetting to her. So it wasn't necessarily about Lisa. It was more so what it triggered for her. And that's understandable. Everybody has those moments. But then with the Whitney thing, it's like you're going so hard at a person for, let's let's call it like it is, not calling you back, which yeah, isn't the kindest or necessarily like the classiest thing to do. I'm sure Whitney's been prouder of the way she's handled things, but it's not worthy of the punishment. No, the the punishment doesn't fit the crime at all. And I think Heather said it best towards the end of this conversation where she says, is not answering your phone call as bad as what you are lashing out at her about? No, like I'm sorry. That was one of the meaner things I have seen on the show. And then when Whitney reads her text messages from Mary, just piling on top of it, I felt so hurt, especially when Whitney is standing up and saying like, Mary, I love you. I've been on your side. I've supported you more than anybody on the, at this table. You felt that. Like she wasn't just immediately pissed. She was so deeply hurt. And you know something? I don't think that her tears were bullshit. I don't either. I really don't think so. Whitney doesn't strike me as that kind of person. And on top of it, we've seen her deal with other situations and this isn't how she reacts. I think that on top of being hurt, what was happening is that she was genuinely so shocked. Like, you know, when you'd be in gym class and you'd get hit like in the nose and with like a (laughs) ball and it's not even that it hurt so bad. It was just the shock of it all. You start crying kind of thing. Yeah. I was going to say when you're a kid or even an adult and you trip and you're just like, in such shock or in whatever that you fell, that it's not even the pain. It's just like, oh my God, what happened? That's exactly how I felt. She just felt like she got hit in the face. Let me tell you what Whitney was. Whitney was being in the Columbus Circle Whole Foods when I slipped on the escalator and (laughs) fucking ate shit. And I looked around as if it was the most traumatizing moment of my life. That's how she felt when, when Mary was coming for her. Yeah. And she couldn't even feel the bruises yet. She was just like, what the fuck just happened to me? Yeah. I mean, 
I don't even know. I'm looking at this outline and I'm just trying to think where to even start this because it all happened so kind of abruptly. I mean, I guess I want to get into the invitation for a second because what was crazy here is Mary explaining in her confessional what she did with the invitation and kind of, you know, justifying it as if that was completely normal and fair behavior. And then you flip to Whitney and Heather in the car and Whitney realizing she was set up. But what I could not get over is the way that Mary really committed to the cause in the sense of Whitney gets there and you would think she'd be like, oh, you figured it out. Ha ha ha. No, she's actually more mad at Whitney that she didn't play along with it after figuring it out because she thinks that's the least that she can do for the godforsaken thing she did, aka not calling her back. And I was like, okay, so we are in real deep here. Something about Mary, ha, is that (laughs) And we've noticed this, and now it's becoming more and more of a thing as we get into the storyline and as we get into this whole Cameron and church plot, is that Mary very strongly feels and believes and acts in the way that if you wrong her, you will be punished in some way. And that you deserve to almost like pay for what you did. So every time someone wrongs her or does something, she thinks or feels or acts in a way that you have to like pay up. So for example, when, you know, she got in a fight with Jenny last week. So Jenny, you don't deserve to get invited to my party. You get, you don't get invited. Whitney doesn't answer her calls. You get a fake invitation and I want to try and embarrass you. Like that's sort of just the way she operates. And I think that that can be very exhausting and also result in hurt as we see happen this week. No, completely. There's a direct pipeline. It's kind of like the you wrong me to I will publicly humiliate you pipeline. And it's, I don't know, to me, I just don't know how you, if you're Whitney, for example, somebody who considered Mary a close friend, how do you find that kind of footing again if you feel like at any given moment, one wrong move and the goal of your humiliation or embarrassment is going to be so prominent in her mind? Like that doesn't feel like a good environment to be in. No, and the punishment is always bigger than what actually happened. I mean, from our perspective, but to me, they don't always fit each other. So like what she had tried to do to Whitney and then ended up feeling about Whitney, like Heather said, was so much worse than Whitney not picking up her calls. And you can hear though, even in Mary's confessionals and how this kind of unravels that she's been feeling sort of slighted by Whitney or less important to Whitney, feeling like she doesn't answer her calls or thinks Whitney sort of ignores her, doesn't call her back, doesn't answer her text messages. And that was clearly like festering and really bothering her. But from Whitney's perspective, Whitney felt like she was really giving a lot to that relationship and really cared about Mary. And maybe she didn't answer her calls all the time. She's driving carpools, she's doing whatever, but her love for Mary was there. And I think the best thing that she said was like, she said this to Meredith later, I have been Mary's PR team. Like she has not just been nice to Mary's face, but she has protected her and helped other people see the good in her and really defended her even when Mary's not looking. Completely. And you know, I was frustrated in this moment at my memory because I can't remember the specific scenes from last season. If I had more time, I would rewatch some of those episodes, but there were very specific moments where she's right. She went to bat for her. Right. And that, I think in Whitney's mind, rightfully so, is so much more powerful and should hold so much more weight than one day of not answering phone calls and, you know, having like one little bump in the road of the friendship. Like that would be like, it's different. But if you and I 
one day I did something that you didn't really like and you were willing to throw away the whole friendship over that one thing. Like, no, we have so much more past. Like, you should love me more than that. Oh my God, I do. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> No, but it's so true. I mean, it's almost kind of like, you know, you say you build up a certain level of, I don't know if I want to call it karma, but you build up a good enough relationship with somebody that you then get a few passes for a few little wrongdoings as long as they're not hurtful in nature. And I know it's different. Like this is not a fair comparison, but our conversation just made me think of something we were saying last week with Lisa Barlow when we were like, you know, unless you're Meredith, you have the ability to fall into being one of her pawns, you know, very easily. Like for example, her inviting Whitney instead of Jen and doing these little things to kind of spin her narrative in the way that she wants it. And that may be a deterrent from getting close to her. It's a little bit similar with Mary in terms of unless you are somebody so, so, so close to her. And I don't know who that person is right now necessarily, because I don't know if we've seen that with anyone on the cast. Like you are at the mercy of potentially really her feeling like you wronged her and then wanting to put you on blast kind of thing. And so it's not the safest relationship to be in with either of them, Lisa or Mary, just in different ways. Right. I mean, we also have to get into the whole Lisa Barlow element. That's sort of what spun this into a whole web. As I watched it back, realizing how we like traveled this journey of the lunch was really fascinating because it sort of starts out with Lisa and them getting into why Lisa invited Whitney and not Jen to her son's event and that whole thing and her really blaming it on her son's making the list and like this whole bullshit of whatever. And then Whitney trying to help Mary realize that her and Jen were sort of having a moment and it really pushing a nerve with Mary of like, why are you telling me what I should listen to or not? Or why are you telling me what to do? Or um, I can have this moment on my own. I don't need you. And then it became a Mary and Whitney conversation. Like just the whole series of events of how we got from here to there was crazy because really every single person at the table was involved in the conversation in some way and also was in the line of fire from other people sitting at the table. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like it, it was literally that meme that we always reference of the woman in front of the board with all the equations. Like you, you needed to watch this multiple times to understand what was going on. And even if you did, you were still a little bit confused. And by the way, <laughs> not that it really matters in the scheme of things, but Lisa's excuse that Jack made the guest list was just hilarious. The funniest confessional is Heather saying, Lisa needs to stop using this excuse of her son made the list because what did Jen do to her son to not get her invited? And what did Whitney do to get herself on the list? No, but that's why watching Lisa Barlow is so funny. And similarly to watching Mary in certain scenarios, not with this, but it's like, she really believes what she's saying. You know what I mean? Like she said that and she really tracks that logic. And it's so funny when you're watching it of like, this clearly makes no sense, but you know what? She's committing to it. I love watching her so much. Like she is such fucking good TV. It's unbelievable. I was really thrown off though, just going back to what you just said with the Whitney, Jen, Mary thing, because it's showing me how a lot of what Mary's upset about are clearly projections in the sense of like what, what Whitney was doing in that moment was just objectively trying to like better the situation. It was literally loud and she wanted to make sure that Mary heard a moment that could be beneficial for her. Like it was such a benign action, but Mary took it in a way, one, she was already frustrated with her for the callback thing. We know that. But on top of it, it was like, 
you don't have to tell me to do this. Like, I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just a human being trying to potentially help you see a moment that you may have missed. Like, what? Right. I'm watching on my TV and I can't even keep up with all of the conversations happening at the table as many times as I watch it back. So I think something about it and something about the way that Whitney spoke to Mary just really pissed her off. I have to say that regarding the Lisa, Whitney, Jen thing for a second, which I know was kind of like the least interesting in this entire thing, I was expecting for it to get a little bit more like rowdy than it did in the sense of it kind of got shut down relatively quickly. You know, Whitney saw Lisa for exactly what she was doing. Yes, Lisa denied it, but Whitney laid out so clearly exactly what happened and Jen just believed her and they kind of moved on. Like it was not as prolonged as I would have anticipated. And I don't know if that's because of the side plot that was going on with Mary. Like if the Mary thing wasn't happening, I don't know if that would have blown up into a bigger thing, but I felt like it was handled relatively seamlessly considering what I was expecting. And considering how fired up things tend to get between Jen and Lisa, but Lisa did give Jen an apology after being prompted enough. And I think that was what needed to happen and Jen needed to hear. Although I don't think anyone really fully understands Lisa's thought process behind it because she refuses to give an answer and just blames it on her kids. But I think that's what they needed just to move forward. And, you know, the couple minutes that we see them together at Beauty Lab and Laser, everything feels sort of okay. And we'll get into it in a minute. But something I was thinking about was like a lot of times at reunions and, you know, during tense moments, The housewives will all say like, yeah, we're not in a good place, but if she needed me, you know, I'd be there in a heartbeat. And that's what I felt in those couple of minutes when Jen was saying Sharif is in the hospital and he's internal bleeding and I have to go check on him and all that. They were all rallying for her. Like Lisa, Whitney, all of them, Heather, of course, but saying like, do you want us to stay? Do you want us to come with you? Are you okay? Is everything okay? What can we do? What can we help you with? And that just shows you like, yeah, they have all the petty bullshit going on, but they're able to completely put it aside and prioritize like their long loving friendship. Right. I mean, long loving friendship is a little bit generous considering the fact that a lot of these women just became friends because of the show. But yes, I think when push comes to shove, they care about each other at least to an amount where they're willing to put some other stuff to the side. And I do believe that honestly, for no other reason than because of like, the shared, you know, women supporting women thing. I think there's definitely something there. Also, they understand, you know, they understand what it's like if their husband or someone close to them, especially their mothers, you know, there's like that connection there. Yes, of course. Can we also talk about when Meredith walks over with Whitney to sort of help calm her down and talk things out as she's, quote, leaving because Mary called her a little girl and said, get out. This, to me, their discussion was so interesting. Wait, this was wild. Like this was to me really interesting because, and I don't know if this is accurate. You can tell me if this is not right. But the way that I saw it was like, okay, clearly Whitney has been sitting on some information that she's never shared, which shows that it was not vindictive in nature. Meaning Mary almost pushed her to this point to be able to or to be willing to say some of these things that clearly she knew. Because when Meredith brings up Cameron, that's not news to Whitney. No, none of it's news to Whitney. I think this caught her in a really vulnerable moment where she felt like, I have no reason to protect Mary anymore. You know, she's kind of torn down our friendship and said that we're not really good friends and that she doesn't care about me in this way that I thought was mutual between us. And she even said to Mary's face, like, you know, 
game on, gloves are off now because of the way that Mary was not only speaking to her in such a demeaning way, but also just reflecting on the the basis of their friendship and it being non-existent. And Whitney's like, not only have I been your friend, she felt like she had been her little like minion. Like she had been her little sidekick and follower. And that's to me even more, not valuable at all, but more telling than just saying like, oh yeah, we were good friends. So now when that's all completely stripped away and she realizes they've been looking at things completely opposite this whole time, what the fuck does she care anymore? No, I know. And and the thing is like, in normal housewives world, if somebody was having a meltdown and they pulled the other one aside, AKA Meredith pulling Winnie aside, you know, they would have tried to comfort them. They maybe would have talked about some drama going on, but the fact that they were both connecting on the specific thing regarding the church, it like thickened the plot. Like that's what took it from a normal housewives fight situation to like, oh shit, we're about to get investigative. Yes. Especially because Meredith is coming with information that she learned kind of on her own. I mean, I do think that there was a lot of setup involved in it somehow, but technically she learned it on her own. So then for her to come and say, you know, I heard this and it kind of raised a red flag and this doesn't involve any of the other women and Whitney to have her own set of information that she also didn't learn from any of the other women, it sort of like isolates it and says, okay, what do we do now with all this information? And how do we, like, what do we do next? And we've been getting all these quote warnings about not making Mary mad and how her whole church views her as God. So outside of it, how does she translate that to everyday life and being viewed as like just a normal person when her career makes her have almost a God complex? Like this was sort of all woven in because all of the things that they were kind of warned about were coming to light in front of their eyes. Totally. And I know that Obviously, we don't know for sure what's happening here in terms of nothing has been proven with any of the claims that have been made, but it's very similar to what we talk about with Jen or with Joe Judice or other people that have been seemingly doing, you know, kind of shady things. And it's like, well, why would you come on a reality show? And the normal response to that is like the level of narcissism and feeling of invincibility. You know, you think that you're above it. And I think that with Mary, my gut feeling based on what I don't know, I guess I've learned from hearing Cameron and just even seeing the way that she talks about the church is that it's more than just narcissism or a feeling of invincibility. I think she has now almost gotten it a little bit conflated with, like you said, this holy, holier than now situation where it's not just that she's too smart to get caught. It's like, no, this is what I meant to be doing. What do you mean this is not good? Like, this is what I deserve. And it's that you get into some uncharted territory there. And I think- the other fascinating thing about the Meredith Whitney conversation, like I kind of was just saying, is that they didn't just, is that it wasn't like Whitney all of a sudden started giving no fucks and said, well, I heard Mary cheats on her husband and I've been sitting on this and I didn't want to say anything, but now, you know, she treated me like this, so I'm going to get her back. It was information that directly mirrored what was going on in front of their eyes. So it was like, not only did I hear this, now I am almost living it. So now putting all these puzzle pieces together, it just makes so much more sense. No, I mean, that the way that Mary was acting at that table was like, 
fucking insane, right? Like that's not just a housewives thing. That's not just because the other women around definitely have the capacity to make somebody like go fucking crazy because all of them are just so intense. Like, no, that was, that was abnormal, right? Yeah. It was really, I just feel like I understand now maybe what the other people were saying and also just this side of her. And I don't really know where we go from here. I really don't. I just felt like in that moment with Whitney, she was really upset. You know, she's saying like, you're calling me a little girl and her response like, yeah, you are a little girl. Like it was so blatantly condescending. It wasn't like, you know, you know how Lisa sometimes tries to hide it. Like she'll say a really big dig, but she'll try to wrap it in a compliment kind of thing. Yeah. No, this this was not subtle. No, it wasn't subtle, which one could make the argument that one is actually better than the other. Like, I don't know where, whatever you land on that, but it was just, wow, that was intense. Very, very, very intense. Oh, wait. And final thought on this lunch was, it's so true. Whoever said it, like, when did Meredith become the Mary Whisperer? Meredith was the peacekeeper this episode. Meredith has kind of taken a backseat this whole season so far. Like, I feel like I don't really see a lot of her and she's also not woven in the drama yet. I have a feeling and I, based on what we've seen, that the second half of the season is her time to sort of shine and when she really gets the camera time that she deserves. But right now she's just playing kind of peacekeeper and I think because she's on pretty good terms with everybody, it makes it easier for her to just stay neutral in the middle. Yeah, and I also think that all of the women, you know, if you go through the list, like they all feel in a way kind of the way Lisa does. Like there's just something about Meredith that I think people feel like it's cool to be her friend. I don't know what the right word is there, but everybody, I don't want to say gives her a pass because she's not doing anything wrong to need a pass, but it's like, it's a compliment towards her is what I'm saying. I just can't put my finger on it necessarily. It's almost like the cool girl factor maybe. They just really like her and not that she can do no wrong because I think certainly there have been issues that the other women have had with her, but I don't know. Yeah. She's a little bit untouchable and it's, I mean, good for her. Listen, she's the only person in the group that's untouchable right now, at least. Yeah. Right now, but things could change very quickly. I have a feeling. Okay. Are you ready? No, I'm not, but let's do it anyway. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the Viral Turquoise Tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. (music) 
I mean, <laughs> the like, horror, <laughs> the horror that went down in the beauty lab and laser parking lot. I, I really cannot believe what this pavement saw. We wanted to go there already for facials and Botox. I just want to go in the parking lot now. Oh no. Now, now that has become a historic landmark. Seriously, they need to put a plaque in those couple parking spaces where the bus was and write like the scene of the, not the crime, but (laughs) the scene of the events. The scene of the events. I mean, okay, so they're on the bus, right? And here's my question that I need to know. Obviously, the second Jen got the call and she got tipped off. She knew it was going on. She got on her feet really quickly. She had Whitney turn off the mic. Fine. Do you think that she got onto that bus with any feeling of being unsettled because she had any idea that this was coming before she got the call or the call was her first inkling? I think in broader in in a broader view, she maybe had an idea that something in general could have been happening, but certainly not that day to this level or that she was being like followed by Homeland Security and the NYPD to her housewife's trip. No fucking way. She had no idea that that was coming on like that. And I think that they do a really like good job and work really hard to make sure that nobody is tipped off so that things like this don't happen. Because I mean, obviously they end up finding her and doing everything that they do. But in other cases, people flee and people leave. But watching them Watching Jen get on the bus and say she has snacks and watching them set up the GoPros on the windows and watching the producers all walking around and the bus driver and like really, yes, we've broken the fourth wall before. And even I think honestly, a moment that sticks out to me the most similar to this is the Candace and Monique fight where it was like, there is zero editing. There's, well, there was editing in this, but there was zero like filter through it's unreal to watch because you really feel like you are sitting there and that you're not missing one millisecond of anything important, no matter who's on the screen. Well, totally. I mean, hold on. First off, before they even get there, right when Jen flees, and then they're all thinking, you know, is this going to... I think honestly, yes, they were concerned, but it was also like, is this going to look really bad if we go? Like, I definitely think that the optic situation was at play there. And then the producer gets on and she's like, are you guys seriously considering it? Like, (laughs) as if to say, like, you got to be fucking kidding me right now. Right. Like, oh my God, this is really a fucking big change of plans. And this ruins our whole week of storyline and episodes. But watching them really be so concerned about Sharif and how quickly Jen is able to lie about it and make up this whole story. Oh oh my God. I just have so much to say because she gets the call and she says, hi baby and whatever. And you could tell it's Sharif. I'm pretty sure you, people have zoomed it on the screen and it says his name, like her husband, Sharif, not her son. And she says, hi baby, what's going on? Oh, I need to go to the house. Okay. Has Whitney turned the mic off? Then she starts saying, like, the hospital called and Sharif had an appointment and there's internal bleeding in an appointment. He might need surgery, so she has to go. How quick she was able to conjure up such a heavy lie and be so convincing and upset about it is just really proves her character. But also, you can tell that she's blacked out. Like, as I rewatch it, she's not in her body. She is having an out-of-body experience. Like, she probably felt like she was watching herself go through the motions because she was probably flipping the fuck out. 
I bet you that if she got home and somebody asked her what she told the women to flee, there's a chance that she would not remember. Honestly. I agree. Like, I think, yes, I agree with you. It was a very concerning just how comfortable she was to be able to make up such an elaborate lie. And also personally for me, I get terrified like karmically with any sort of medical makeups. Like that shit just makes me unsettled. But it it wasn't even that. It was so right. Watching her eyes, you knew that she realized holy shit. And I don't think, I think what was so crazy is that anytime you're watching a show, Housewives or other, or even just watch, you know, seeing someone in real life, when they are experiencing a moment of the sorts that they have never experienced before, like when you get a certain type of a phone call that you've never gotten before, it it knocks you out. It takes the wind out of you. And that's what was happening. You were watching somebody experience something for the first time that they didn't even have a frame of reference to. Like, She doesn't know what it's like for somebody to call and say, by the way, Homeland Security is looking for you. That's fucking crazy. So her reaction was just like, she didn't know how she was going to react, you know? I can't believe she wasn't shaking uncontrollably. Maybe that's just like a personal projection because I get like when my body's nervous, shaking. And I, she just was like so eerily calm and like, yeah, I have to go home. Like very like no one was home, you know, like in her face, in her eyes. And that was just crazy to watch. And then to watch the women on the bus 12 minutes later after Jen leaves, they're all talking about hoping she's okay. And Heather was saying she felt hopeful when Jen was saying, yeah, if everything's okay, I'll come meet you guys. And that was sort of her feeling of permission that it was okay for them to go on the trip without her and that, you know, she would want them to have fun without her being there. And then all of a sudden, when you see that first fucking police officer lurking in the background in the window behind Whitney, my stomach dropped and the music is playing and they're just talking, talking, talking. And then when they see them all and they're like, what the fuck is going on? Wait, when Lisa says it's not about Sharif. No. When that, that moment of realization is absolutely chilling and when they keep saying Whitney keeps saying is this a prank like this must be the most elaborate prank like they really thought it was a prank and another element that I think is so key to this yeah it's iconic that it went down at beauty lab and laser but I'm so glad it did and not at like one of their houses or I don't even know just a random public place because I think it made Heather feel like she was on her home turf like they're literally outside of her business that she owns and operates so that sort of gave her like the confidence to be able to step off the bus say what the fuck is going on here like we are at my place of business on a bus that I am helping organize I'm sort of semi in charge of this trip while Meredith's not here so that gave her like let me get off the bus and see what is going on right now Right. And by the way, like it wasn't even about what she actually said to them or what they responded because it wasn't like Homeland Security was going to tell her anything. They kept saying, yeah, we just want to make sure she's okay. We just want to make sure she's okay. But for the women's sake, like imagine being on that bus, you're sitting there, you have no idea what's going on. And one of your friends has the confidence to get off and kind of try to just get a vibe of the situation. And then you have that realization when Heather says it, like, guys, is she on the run? Like you are watching these women put the puzzle pieces together in real life. And they're like, oh my God, there's no such thing as Sharif having internal bleeding. She didn't have to leave because of that. She just got in a getaway car and we are now watching an active investigation. And the most telling moment is when Heather has that split second idea of like, oh, should I tell Jen? Should I you know, call Jen, tell her? And Lisa's like, I wouldn't do that. And they realize that's when everything shifts of like, wait a second, we have to now distance ourselves from this. I'm not a Homeland Security expert by any means, but (laughs) 
no, but I think after this week and next week, I could be. I'll do a little bit more research, but I thought it was so I don't know if it's like a tactic or just the way that they go about it that they that the agents and the police and whoever were kept saying like we just have to make sure she's okay. We just have to talk to her. We just have to make sure, you know, she's okay though. She's unharmed, right? They were not saying we're looking for her. We're trying to find her. They just wanted to make sure she was okay. So at first, I think when the women heard that, after now already being worried about like what was going on with Sharif medically, it was like, wait, she just left. Like, what is going on? And what are they worried about Jen for? And what is happening? And like, Lisa is just sitting in the bus eavesdropping and being like, holy shit, this is some something real is going on. Like, this is not just one local police officer coming to look for her because something's wrong. This is like a full squad SWAT team of people. And I also think something that legitimized it for them is that production was just as thrown off as they were. So, I mean, once they quickly realized it wasn't a prank, I'm talking even more than that. I think it was the realization of like, wait a second, this wasn't even something that they could have prepared for. You know what I mean? Like that realization of like, talk about no fourth wall. That's really what was going on. Right. And how quickly Heather had the most relatable moment is Heather saying, you know, I'm usually scared of the police, but this is like some next level shit or the popo as she called them. So as they're asking questions, like they have no idea what's going on. Of course, they're going to tell the truth. The producers say she was here 10 minutes ago. She said her husband had eternal bleeding. She got in the car and left and they tell them the make and model of the car that she left in and assure them that she is okay. And as far as they know, she's okay. Oh my God. That was chilling. That was some of the best minutes of reality television I have ever seen in my entire life. And I don't think that's dramatic. I don't either because I really felt like I was on that bus living through it with them. And this is exactly what I feel like would have happened if any of us were in this situation, exactly how it went down. And it must be crazy for them to watch now in hindsight, like how their brains sort of figured out what was going on on watch what happens live. And he was like, Lisa, like what, how did you realize that it wasn't about Sharif? You know, in that moment, she's like, my brain just works quickly. <laughs> I love her. Like, what do you mean? Because Homeland security is outside right. looking for her. Right. Yeah, no, that was insane. That was phenomenal. It was riveting. It was everything I could have ever dreamed of. It lived up and not only lived up, also exceeded any expectation I had. And I cannot fucking wait until next week. Although technically we are supposed to be off next week. Like it's already been, we already have put that in weeks in advance now, but I'm thinking now that it lined up this way, maybe we'll see, maybe we'll literally do just like a soul Salt Lake City segment. We don't even have advertisers, but just like to talk about it. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see because we're going to be away. But I feel like, oh my God, if it's going to be as good as we think it is, like we're going to need to talk about it or we'll combust. Yeah, we'll have to. Okay, we'll we'll discuss that. Um, anything else you want to mention from this episode? Like probably, but we have to move on. Okay, let's go to Potomac and then Winter House will be later this week. Holy shit. <music> So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. 
And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. I honestly thought this was a stellar part one of Potomac. What do you think? They came in hot. It was so good. And also, I loved the Nikki video kind of throwing them off because I genuinely believe they were absolutely shocked when it happened. I know. That's such a fun element that I didn't even think about because it's a fun surprise for the viewers and it's so new to us. But the fact that they were really thrown off, I mean, Andy gave the performance of a lifetime like, oh, she really wished she could be here. I know. I know. Little do they fucking know. And it's crazy because it's that same day. You know, you have to remember they filmed the reunion in one day. So what, eight hours later or something, she was probably coming out. They looked so good. I might say the best a cast has looked at a reunion ever. I don't I can't, I don't know if I can make that assertion cuz I'd really have to think I especially love their yellow from last year but definitely the best we've seen in a little while for sure. Okay, so let's just start out on a lighter less serious note with Mia when they're talking about this plastic surgery and I guess my question is like why is everybody so pressed about what she did or did not have done to her vagina? Like who gives a shit? And pressed about what she's lying or contradicting herself about. Like, who cares? And if you do care, keep it to yourself. Like, this is not something you should be pressing someone about ever, let alone on TV and in front of a group of women. It's like, leave me alone. (laughs) I just found it so bizarre. Like, I understand sometimes you want to take something that somebody has been a little bit untruthful about or has maybe, you know, manipulated a little and want to use that to really get them. But it's like, whether she got her clit worked on or like a different part of her vagina, like it's not changing the narrative. Right. What's it to you? Right. Exactly. You don't have to look at it. I guess they want to catch her in some sort of lie, but also Mia is so open and chill about pretty much everything in a way that I think almost bothers them even more. Well, right. I think that what happens is that not just in this situation, in any situation, when somebody takes back control over the thing that you want to mock them for, you lose the power in that, you know? Yeah, for sure. One of the, I think, most harshest digs of this episode was when they're talking about whether Wendy did or did not know the man that Giselle was allegedly dating. And they mentioned Van Jones and Wendy's like, no, she's not really his type. He likes a woman of integrity. The tweet that I posted of Nini saying, how did I get involved in this? Like, Van Jones did not ask to be dragged into the Potomac reunion as a dig towards someone. I'm sorry. No, but also, this is really funny because it's following up on the rumors that were swirling for a while of Kim Kardashian and Van Jones. So I bet he just wakes up random days and he's like, how did I become a beacon of pop culture all of a sudden? Like, I was just doing my thing on CNN. (laughs) You know? (laughs) so funny. We literally get a Van Jones reference in the first 10 minutes of the Potomac reunion. I love when one of them says something and Andy even realizes how much of kind of like a drag that was. Like when Wendy said it, Andy was like, oh shit. Yeah. Like that was, uh, Wendy, what did you think about Wendy this whole part? 
I mean, she was giving great TV. Um, here's what I'll say. I totally get if she has like any negative feelings still towards Giselle or Robin or any of them, like totally warranted. I just was expecting that it was going to come out a little bit later on when the subject matter was a little bit more heavy. And I felt like she was using a lot of the digs during relatively benign conversations, which to me just went to show, you know, she's obviously still really upset at them, which is, again, is totally fine. I just wasn't expecting it to come out this earlier in the reunion, I think. Yeah, she came in at like level 100 when usually it takes a like the first part you know they're getting warmed up they kind of have to all get like fired up at each other a little bit and when they bring up these issues it sort of like helps them to relive the feelings but Wendy also was not picking her battles I felt like she would not let anything slide and a lot of times I feel the most powerful reunion players are people who pick their battles. Like if you're going to make a comment about every single thing, not only would we be here all day, but it also kind of weakens your argument. So instead of her just picking which things she wanted to comment on or which things she was willing to go there about, she just picked everything. Well, that's the thing. I think there was a distinction for me between like viewer and then looking at it from strategy. Cause watching mm. it, I was obsessed with it. I could watch her all day. Like Same. absolutely give me this housewives content that I want. But then if I'm more like thinking if I'm on her team on like, you know, behind, what do they call it? The, what's the lines in football? Like on the sidelines. Yes. On the sidelines, <laughs> on the sidelines, you know, and I'm trying to do strategy. I'm like, wait a second, maybe slow your roll here because I don't want your other arguments to not land as strongly. Yeah. And I think it gave everybody sitting there a bad taste in their mouth. Even the people who are generally getting along with her, I think they all were just feeling like, okay, whoa. I also want to get into the Giselle and Jamal conversation. And I think for me, what always happens with this is like Jamal objectively wronged Giselle and she has every right to be as upset as, you know, one would imagine her to be. And I know she may not show that in the same way, but it's like, I don't know. I don't only think it's as a viewer, you're frustrated by her lack of vulnerability. I think it comes across as like emotionless, which I'm sure isn't the case of, of course she was upset. But when you're among a group that is very emotive she appears very stoic and, you know, whatever, however she processes it is fine, but it's a little bit frustrating. I don't know if that's a fair frustration, but that's how I was feeling. All of their frustration about her not wanting to talk about her personal life is what we talk about all the time. She expects it from everybody else, but then she'll never give it up herself. Right. And that's the thing. It's like, you can do one or the other. You absolutely don't have to talk about yourself. I mean, you kind of do on a show like this, but if you're not gonna, then you definitely can't be the one demanding information from the crowd. Right. In such a strong way too, not just subtly. You know, I really liked, even though it wasn't necessarily delivered in the friendliest manner, I liked the conversations that occurred here between Karen and Giselle, because even though it was shady, I still feel like it had the undertone of these are women that on some level care for one another, you know? Like I know Karen wanted to get some digs in, but I do also think she was trying to communicate, like he really wronged you and I don't want you to go through that. When Karen started saying like, I don't think you should have gone back to him. You're better than that and you deserve better. That was sort of the sentiment. I was like, yes, this is what we say. They do care about each other. They do love each other. They do have an overall respect for each other. Even later, Karen was saying nobody is is shadier than Giselle and I. Like, we're the best at it. 
those are the kind of moments where I'm like, okay, you know what? I love when we get back to reality because it's so hard, especially in these reunion moments to separate it. But almost like what we were just saying in Salt Lake City, at the end of the day, these are things. And Karen is not too stubborn or too proud to compliment Giselle and say, you know, I do want the best for you and you do deserve these things. And when push comes to shove, this man is not treating you right. And I don't think you deserve that. And not only do you not deserve it, you deserve so, so much better. I also was so interested that they circled back to that live of Jamal, like just the mention of things that happened completely off camera, but play into the story. I think Wendy was bringing up the timeline of when Jamal said they weren't together. That live that Jamal did basically coming back at Monique with the whole binder thing from last reunion. I mean, (laughs) give me that content. That really took me back because you and I were doing some on the ground reporting during that whole thing and we were trying to keep it all together. So for them to bring it up and by the way, you know, good on Wendy for kind of calling that just because I think that if she didn't, viewers would have called that out themselves because, you know, Andy wasn't necessarily so in tune with that timeline. Understandably, there was a lot going on. And I think people would have been curious about that. So when she said it, it almost was like, I don't want to say Giselle was caught in the lie, but she was caught in a moment where she had to further expand on what she was saying. And I, I don't, I don't necessarily believe what Giselle was saying there. I don't either. I think Giselle really tries to cover up everything about her relationship and she picks the good things to talk about and really buries the bad things. And it's just, she needs to move on from him. I'm sorry. There's nothing redeeming about him. And I get that they have children together and everything, but I really think he brings her so much more anxiety and stress and headache than he brings her joy. I mean, that's definitely my perception of it, but it's fun to talk about. So here we are. You know, I'm really glad that Andy brought up the point about Karen. I don't know if he mentioned Wendy as well, but kind of always clowning on Giselle for not having a man, because that's something that we talk about a lot of, not just in Potomac and so many franchises. Like, why is the ultimate insult the fact that you're single or that you can't keep a man or don't have a man? Like, that's so twisted. And we're all doing ourselves a disservice by that being the core focus, especially when every single woman on this franchise, on any single Housewives franchise, has enough flaws to be able to be spoken about. Because if they didn't, they wouldn't be a reality television figure. Yeah, it's so messed up. And I think in the moment, that's what everybody just grasps for and it makes it easier because Giselle not only has she gone back and forth with her husband but there's so many things to say about Jamal but it's just it shouldn't be the insult to Giselle I'm sorry like there's go after her fashion fine talk about her purple walls in her house fine but a man and not having a man is not what defines her and also should not be an insult if she is single Right. And also, by the way, like this is a man that seriously hurt her and by doing that hurt her children. I just, it, it's just, to me, I think it makes the person that did the insult look worse than Giselle because she's not claiming that she's with him right now. Right. Okay. I want to get into this Candace segment. How do you feel about that? Nervous, but we got to do what we got to do. Apartments.com believes the dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. 
With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. This was no joke when she started talking about the way that Chris reacted to seeing Dorothy talk about him and how it really impacted her family. I believed those tears. I know Candace is one that pulls out a a tissue square more frequently than your average person. I think these tears were 100% real because I think that she feels like there's now a real blockade in terms of gaining that closeness or, or that, you know, joining of the two families. Of course. I mean, think about normal family dynamics when one side doesn't necessarily love the other or your mom doesn't approve of your husband or approves of him or her or whoever your partner is to their face, but not behind their back. And now here it is captured on television, her going around talking about it with other people for the whole world to see. And like Candace says, for her in-laws to see, that is really hurtful, not just to Chris, but to everybody involved and to Candace too. I mean, she says that they had a huge blow up fight about it and rightfully so. I mean, she has said a lot of things in the past, Dorothy, but usually it pertains to Candace or her friends. So it's, I guess, not as big of a controversy within the family. But now when it's transitioned to Chris and his integrity and him being with her for money and clout and his position in their marriage, like that is serious shit. Right. But also, especially in the way that she did it, you know, it Mm -hmm. was, it was so intentional. It was going around to all of the friends. It was during Candace's shoot. Like, I think the timing of it all, I don't know if I want to say contributed because I think it would have been hurtful regardless, but I, I have to imagine that the general environment that surrounded it definitely didn't help the cause. Yeah. I, there's no way. I was glad that Robin kind of asked the question of, would the issues be the same if you weren't on the show? And she very honestly says no, which I thought was an important insight to have because we said this when the episode was airing, like in normal times, one, he would probably never know that Dorothy said that, but second of all, he would definitely never see it. To see it word for word and then to also get the friend's reactions, like that is cruel and unusual punishment for whoever the person is. I know. And it's so hard because I battle with, would it actually be better or would this all just be going on behind the scenes? And no matter what, Candace would be stuck in the middle. It obviously is not better that he has to see it, but it's kind of just a lose-lose shitty situation no matter how you slice it. You know how people sometimes ask if you could have a reel of every bad thing anybody's ever said behind your back and in combination with every good thing, would you take it? You know, people always say that. And like, for me, I always just wouldn't want it. I think there are some things that people say behind your back that are not constructive or not helpful or just straight up mean. And I don't think it necessarily helps a person. And I think that if Dorothy had concerns about Chris, if she had to communicate them to him directly, she would have done it in just naturally a kinder way because when you're talking to the person directly, your tone changes. I know. I know. I agree with you. And sometimes ignorance is bliss, but- Would you want a real? 
Like just as a side question, would you want a reel? I like I know the right answer that would save myself would be no, but I don't know if my curiosity and just like nosiness would kill me. But do you think I don't know. Do you think your answer would change if you getting the bad reel also I guess the question to everyone listening as well getting the bad reel means that you also would get the good reel like all the compliments that have been said about your behind your back that you didn't know I don't know like I want to know so bad but then I also know like that could just fucking like ruin you yeah I don't think that I would want to I don't think that I would want to know I mean hopefully it's nothing too terrible but I just I don't know but that's the thing like there could be things that you are completely blind to and not even insecure about. And then if you hear someone say it, like right. it's such a hard situation. I don't know. But then turning that down and not knowing forever what I could have heard or seen. Because what? who knows? Maybe it could make you a much better person. Maybe there's patterns you're not seeing. Maybe you could work through it. And maybe people are complimenting you and saying nice things about you that you also don't think are your strong points. So who knows? Wow. I wish that was possible. I know. It's a really interesting thing. And also I've seen people talk about it in terms of like, okay, well, what if it was just physical or what if it was not physical? You know, shit like that. Cause like Mm -hmm. talk about something that can make insecurities that you didn't even know existed. It's just, it's a whole lot, a lot to think there. That's definitely enough to uh, hold over dinner conversation. Oh yeah. Especially like if you add, like you said, rules, can you take out certain topics or also can you make them anonymous or does it matter who is saying them like to me it matters who is saying the things not just a list of them without the sub without the person who said it you know oh like, my there's god. so many things oh my god or like knowing the reaction like it, like if you got to see the reaction of whoever was there and like if they either agreed or disagreed or emphasized it oh my i can't even oh, right like if it's if i knew Let's say you wouldn't say anything bad about me, but like if it was you, but like if you said it to Julie versus if you said it to somebody else, like who you said it to and also what the reaction was. Wow. That's a fun game. Fun game. scary. Scary. You know that our next game when we're walking down fifth and we're on like step 25,000, we're going to introduce that game to Julie and be like, okay, for the next 5,000, this is what we're playing. Okay. And then we'll just keep altering the rules and decide. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. I can't wait. Okay, so <laughs> anyway, back to the Potomac reunion. Yeah, that was a fun little, uh, fun little delay. So I want to talk about when Andy asked Candace, "How's that working for you?" And she's like, "What do you mean?" And he goes, "How's the way that you respond to people working for you? You were almost physically attacked last year." And she comes back with a very strong response of saying, "So that's my fault. I was almost attacked." And he says, "Well, you were the common denominator." She says, "Everyone up here has a mouth, has said nasty bottom of the gutter things, but because I'm better at it." That's when Karen interjects, oh, nobody's better than me and Giselle. There's a lot to break down here. I think this was not Andy's best moment. I'm not afraid to say that. A lot of people were comparing Andy's response to Candace versus his response to Erica, which felt a little bit uneven. And I think, I don't know. I just think he feels some responsibility to really hold up a mirror to Candace because in a lot of ways... I weirdly think she is self-aware and emotionally mature, but also has like very gaping blind spots. So I think he knows that she's capable when he says these things, but the whole conversation was very uncomfortable. And I think he almost wanted her to realize like, you could be better than this. I think that his argument would have stood so much firmer if he didn't bring up the Monique incident because- 
that's not just like him. Anytime anybody brings that up, you know, that your argument just gets weakened because like the, no matter what she did, what Monique did to her was just not justified. Like there's just no world in which it was. I wish maybe he would have brought up the stuff with Mia or, you know, I don't know, some other things because it's true. Like Candace can hit really, really below the belt as can a lot of housewives. But I think on this particular franchise, I think she she's not shadier than Karen and Giselle. I think Karen's right, but they do it in a way that feels a little bit less hurtful, like more like a little bit maybe more with a more bite but less actual hurt, whereas I think Candace sometimes just goes so deep and it, it becomes almost dark. Right, like their bark is bigger than their bite and Candace's bite is bigger than her bark, I guess. Or like, just like her bark and her bite are both fucking big. Right, exactly. Like Karen saying, yeah, Giselle and I are like the best at being shady. That's true. They are the best at being shady. But like I said before, they hit right below the belt, but just like a centimeter. Candace really fucking goes for it. It takes it to a whole other level. I mean, you know, when Andy said the thing about why do I wake up to tweets saying fire her? They're saying it in regards to what comes out of your mouth. And she says, it has less to do with me and the fact that people can't keep up with what I say. If you can't handle someone orating or speaking, and that's when Giselle chimes in saying, if after seeing what I saw, Mia had clocked you, I would have been like, hmm, because of the severity of what you said to her. And that's when Candace responds, I never start any of it. I'm always responding to someone who's disrespecting me. Giselle, you need to edit yourself and pull back when you've gone too far. Hmm. What Candace was saying here was basically, no matter where I go with my words, it's just words, so people should be able to handle it. And I think it was Caroline Manzo or Teresa who said this in Jersey Housewives in one of the earlier seasons, like your tongue has no bones, but it can break bones or some saying like that. And it's true. Like it, your words can be that powerful. And Candace's point of, I should be able to say whatever I want. I'm just good at it. You guys just can't keep up with me is unfair. I mean, yeah, like she's right. She is good at it in the sense of she knows where to go to make it hurt. Like she totally yes. is. Like, like if she, she would be a professional player at that game, fine. But it, it's not It's not something to brag about. Right. And I think that what happens is she's – like I will stand by her one million percent when she says, you know, it, it's just words in the sense that nothing is is worthy of the physical – you know, the physical altercations, like a hundred percent, literally 1 million percent. I will stand by that for her sake. Me too. But, but to, to say in the same breath, almost that like, I'm so good at this, but also nothing could be that hurtful. You're contradicting yourself basically. Right. Cause you're saying you could take it to the finish line, but also it shouldn't matter what I say. Right. Right. Exactly. I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm just, you know, I don't know how fair this is because we're coming off of the episode with Mia and I could not get on board with the mom stuff. I know she said, you know, in a coming preview that she didn't fully know the extent of it, but she, there, we saw at a certain point them trying to tell her and she didn't stop it. So I don't know. That one just hit me deeper. Yeah, it really did. Is there anything else from this episode that you think we didn't touch on? No, I think it was a really strong start. I'm excited for the next three parts. I physically cannot wait. Like, again, say it with me, kids. If you are watching Bravo and you are not watching Potomac, what are you doing with your life? If you're watching Bravo and listening to this podcast and still not watching Potomac, I'm sorry. It just We just need to have a talk. 
You're just doing yourself a disservice. It's so good. It's so good. Okay. Well, we love you guys. Like I said, we are technically off next week, but I just, I have a feeling, I know what's going to happen as well. We're going to be in our hotel room together on Sunday night. We're going to be watching Salt Lake City and being like, holy fuck. We literally may record the podcast like on one computer or just on a voice note because I feel like we're going to have to, don't you think? I have a feeling, yes, but we'll see. We'll We'll see. see. We'll see. No promises, obviously, but we love you guys. Thank you for letting us do this. Thank you for, you know, giving us even more joy when we watch these shows by knowing we can discuss it. So we love you. Thank you.